Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, Paul has just finished instructing Titus on how to deal with other people. Now he's going to focus on Titus himself. And he tells him, look, Titus, you need to just teach what accords with sound doctrine. He told Timothy the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. It says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And I've listened to Bible teachers, and some of them from my own camp, who get so dogmatic on non-essential principles in the scriptures that it's unhealthy. And these principles that they thrive on, they're not essential doctrines. They have really nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus. It has everything to do with my interpretation of this thing. And what are they really doing? They're creating controversy and quarrels. So staying focused on essentials such as walking in the Spirit, battling the flesh, loving God, loving others, sin, repentance, those things, those are what prepare us for eternity. You get the basics down and you're doing those well, then move on to some of the other fringe issues. Because these things help believers mature in our faith and become useful for the kingdom of God. Arguing about things that really have no eternal significance is counterproductive and really divides people, not to mention it turns people off. When people outside the church see how people inside the church infight, it's pretty despicable. Verse 2, older men are to be sober, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now he's going to focus on what church people ought to be. So the older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Now, I was not raised around a lot of elderly people. So when I left home and joined the Air Force, I was not used to being around elderly people. And in the military, there were very few elderly people around the military bases except at the hospital and the commissaries. So I didn't have a lot of interaction with the elderly there either. And when I returned home, I was 26 years old, and I had a lot of life-changing experience. I matured a lot since I left. I considered myself fairly knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than my friends, just of life in general. When I went to work for a company, it was a union company, I began to encounter some old retired union workers who wanted to come back and chat with the boys. And I thought it was cool. I'm like, hey, check it out. These guys are in their late 70s, some of them older than that. And everything was cool until I started to listen to their conversations. And I wasn't a believer at this time. And when I heard the filth come out of their mouths and the way they touted their sexual experiences... I was blown away. I'm like, I was wicked enough at heart. And now these guys who I expected to be more mature, they are saying some of the most filthy things I've ever heard. And I'm looking at these old men. I'm like, this is not the time in your life to be being gross. And then I realized that growing older doesn't mean you mature morally. These guys were nice guys, but I would never bring my wife around them. And this discovery was very disheartening to me because I thought that the older you got, the better you got. And that wasn't necessarily the case. And then later in my law enforcement career, I would investigate elderly men for a variety of crimes and elderly women too. It was just very disheartening. So Paul here, he's calling out all older men of God to be godly. And that sounds funny, but realistically, are all men who claim to be godly really godly? No, they're not. They need to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness, and not love of perversion, but love of God. 
And now that I'm getting old, these verses become even more important to me because people look at me as an old man now. Not that old, but they assume that because you're older, you have experiences and that you're a decent guy. Paul here is saying, look, you need to do this. You need to be godly, older men. No excuse for being childish or filled with youthful lust, those types of things. Verse 3, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So now Paul is targeting the older women. Reverent in behavior. I know a lot of elderly people now because my parents and my friends that I grew up with are now hitting their 80s. And some of their moms are still as obnoxious as they were when I was a kid. Some are worse. They love to drink, cuss, and be crude. And they can do it pretty well. Paul says, look, ladies, be a witness. I have many people that at certain points in my life were instrumental in encouraging me to do good when I was in a tough spot, and some of those people were older women. And I'm so grateful to have known so many great people in my life and cherish those older women who took the time to give me an encouraging word or just something small that touched my heart. It was cool. I don't forget moments like that, like I forget everything else, but those moments are riveted into my mind. The value of an older woman's wisdom and her reverence and her respect to a young man who's just a knucklehead. It's huge, like mom figures to you. Verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So here's an additional task for the older women. Paul's saying you need to disciple the younger women and be that mentor for them, teaching them to love their husbands and their children. Because how important is the family? Most people in our country, I believe, don't realize how important the family unit is. And this is evident by how many people break up their families or have affairs or don't spend time loving their spouses or children. And the results for many people and many people that I know are pretty bad. On the contrary, those families that understand the family unit as the backbone of our society and as our lives, who make the effort to raise responsible, stable, contributing children and sacrifice for their families, who know how to love one another, they see the benefit not just as the kids grow up, but when they get old and their kids are a blessing to them. They visit them. They continue to gather with them. And when they're in need, they're there for them. But that percentage, even in the church, is not that great. Paul's instruction to the older women to teach younger women to love their husbands and their children is critical because moms are often what hold the family together. And when mom throws in the towel, the family crumbles. So all the older women who have a lot of time on their hands can be a source of encouragement to these younger women, and they'll have a tremendous value in the families as well as eternal value. I've been to a lot of retirement homes. There's a lot of really nice elderly lady that have their minds that are physically fit. They walk a lot. They have so much to offer and they sit and play pinochle all day. It's just sad. Verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now let's look at the instruction and compare them with our culture and see how we do. Self-controlled, this word is also translated discreet in other translations. So along with men, Paul calls women to be self-controlled. And incidentally, If we are walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit is producing godliness in us, described as fruit in Galatians 5.22, then the help that we need to make these things happen is there. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it says in Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We can get that because that presence in our life produces those things in us. It's not that we have to try harder to love more, try harder to have joy. That doesn't work. We have to let God's love pour out through us. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. So if we need self-control, where do you go? You go to the Lord. And Paul says to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. 
The word in the original language is only used once in the New Testament. That's here. It means one who watches over the home with care. A home needs to be cared for, including the children. It's a full-time job. And the rewards in this life can be amazing, as well as the rewards in eternity for being faithful to care for our families. If the home is neglected, the consequences can be pretty bad, both now and in eternity. And my mom was the keeper of our home and, and didn't go to work until we were both in school. But even then, she managed the home well. And we didn't have a perfect family by any means. There's a lot of contention in our home growing up. But my mom was dedicated to the home and her family, and she took care of us. So naturally, it's our turn to take care of them. That's what happens when a family stays together, where divorce hasn't torn it apart, where good discipline and love is present, balancing the, the upbringing. And keeping that home and being a faithful home keeper is huge when you become elderly, because then your family takes care of you. Most people's families do not take care of them. That's a sad reality that I've seen over and over and over again. Paul instructs the women to be kind or good in other translations. Older women teaching younger women to be good and resist the temptation to be bad. And nowadays, being bad is sort of in vogue. If you're good, you're kind of mocked. If you're bad, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you're mischievous. That's a good thing, and it's really not. And then he says being submissive. Probably the most hated words in the scriptures. We don't want to submit to God. That's humanity's problem. That's why this world is so screwed up. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Okay, Titus, tell the younger men to control themselves. Have you seen any issues in our society where young men refuse to control themselves and cause grief? Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, verse 8, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Now, Titus, this one's for you, man. Be legit. Practice what you preach and be a good witness. Verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. As we talked about in chapter 1, the original word for bond servant is doulos. It means slave. And so there were slaves in this time. And the slaves who were believers are commanded to be submissive. So it's not just the women who are commanded to submit. In Scripture, everybody is commanded to submit. Living a life as a follower of Christ is a life of submission for husbands, for wives, for children, for single men, single women, for everybody, for employees. For neighbors, we don't get a pass on submission. We all have to learn that God is bigger than we are, and we need to do what he says and put our own will aside. That's healthy. Verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So don't steal, rather be a light in the truth of God's word. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We keep seeing self-controlled throughout his letter. The reason we do these things is because of what God has done for us, providing us a way to know him and be led through this life by his Spirit, enduring the grueling trials that come with our lives. So then because he is so good to us, walking by the power of the Spirit, we must show that the new life in us is real and very evident. We're different than normal people. We are no longer simply natural people driven through life by our own understanding and our own abilities. We are now supernaturally driven to express that reality of God that dwells within us. We are children of God and no longer children of the devil. 
So because of this, we don't play games with the world anymore. We are no longer slaves to our own passions. Rather, we are a slave to Christ. We live for a life of peace as we are instructed by the Holy Spirit who grants us power to live a self-controlled, godly life. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something we may overlook in this verse is the word waiting. Our hope in Jesus is a real hope and a real person. He is not a myth. Rather, he is God the Son, and he came to this earth in the first phase of his ministry to become the final sacrifice in the sacrificial system for sin created by God and given to Moses. He came when Daniel 9 said he would in the manner that Zechariah 9 said that he would. He suffered like Isaiah 53 said he would. He hung on a cross like Psalm 22 said he would. He fulfilled many prophecies about his first coming when he, as John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's not the end of the story. The Son of God will come again for his second phase, and there are still several prophecies about his second coming where he will return, and we will need to be in a state of readiness waiting for that day. Why? Because when we understand Jesus can return at any moment, we are going to be expecting him. And if we expect him, that will influence how we live our lives. Now, it's been 2,000 years since he departed to the right hand of the Father, but as we see in our modern times, things are coming together as described in the scriptures, which will occur prior to Christ's return. And one of those things is the reestablishment of the nation Israel predicted in Ezekiel 37. That happened in 1948. Another is the general state of society. Paul writes to Timothy with this prediction of people in the last days and how they behave. Civilization has always had people behaving in an evil manner. We know that. But what about those people who proclaim to be godly people? See if this description rings truer today than in the past. 2 Timothy 3.1 But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Does that sound like people today? Yeah. Paul specifically says in the last days. So this is prophetic. And we see this right now. We see it. We see Israel. We see this bunch of other things happening too. Things are coming together for the return of Jesus. When will it happen? Nobody knows, but the signs are being revealed. In Matthew 24, 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So they were clueless then, and many are clueless now. In Matthew 16, 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them and said, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And that was true then, and it's still true today. The signs are all around us. But do they capture our attention? Do we even care? Paul reminds Titus to expect the return of Christ any day. Always be in a state of readiness, because it will come in an instant. Matthew twenty four twenty seven. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. But also predicted was that many would not believe or take Jesus serious. And 
Second Peter 3, 2. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But he will come. Verse 14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. His gift of his life for us paid the price for our rebellion against God. When Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he indicates that a special group of people will be created, like the Jews who were created through Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, For the purposes of God, the church or the assembly of believers would be created on a sure foundation of Christ. And the church or that assembly of Jesus includes every person who believes from the time of Christ to the present who are born into the family of God through faith and receive the seal of the Holy Spirit as God's mark of ownership upon them. This assembly is a special group of people. Some are taken from the dregs of society. Some are taken from royalty. Some are taken from everything in between. But one thing in common, we all believe. We all trust Jesus, and we've surrendered to him. None of us are perfect, but we know our king. Those who are a part of Jesus' assembly are different. We are a special group of people created for his purposes. First Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All right, Titus, you've read all you need to. Now go forth and do the will of God. And going back to Paul's instructions in Titus chapter 1, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Titus's role at this time was not to pastor a specific church, rather to set things in order so that the churches may be prepared to discern the will of God. And the lesson here is things that are done according to the Spirit, they work out well. When the church obeys the Word, it's blessed and thrives spiritually. When the leaders do their own thing, disregarding the Scriptures, not willing to address controversial topics, not holding each other to the standards needed for spiritual growth, you'll find a church where the congregation is ignorant and unproductive for the kingdom of God. And what is the point of a church that is unfruitful for God? Titus's role was to set things in order so that the churches could do their job and spread the good news. Thank you.